Okay, we are continuing our study together in uh, the subject of the Lord's Supper, which is chapter 30 of our Confession of Faith. And we're dealing with the first paragraph, which of course is the major paragraph uh, of, the, of this subject, in which it sets out the institution of the Lord's Supper. So we're going to read the uh, paragraph, and then we'll talk about uh, the part where we left off last time. It says in paragraph 1, The supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by him the same night wherein he was betrayed to be observed in his churches unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance and showing forth the sacrifice in his death, confirmation of the faith of believers and all the fruits thereof, their spiritual nourishment and growth, in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe to him, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other. So we talked about the inauguration of the Lord's Supper. We talked about uh, the author of it, uh, who was none other than the Lord Jesus. We talked about the time of it. It was... Um, at the last uh, supper, Passover supper, that he celebrated with his disciples. And then we talked last time about its observation. We said that it was to be observed in his churches. And we said that the Lord's Supper is a church ordinance and is to be celebrated in the context of the gathered assembly of the people of God. And it's not a private ordinance for us to practice on our own um, with a, a group of people at a Bible study somewhere. Uh, but rather it is an ordinance of the church, uh, just like um, baptism is an ordinance of the church. Now, um, we want to pick up where we left off then last time. And having seen the place of the observation in the church, we want to talk about the length of observation. The length of observation. Now, the observation of the Lord's Supper had a very distinct beginning, and that was right at the end of the Lord Jesus' earthly ministry when he instituted the new covenant. And uh, the question is, how long is this going to be observed? And the answer is, according to our confession, unto the end of the world. So it has a beginning and it has an ending. And so we want to look at the scriptural data in relationship to that. So let's look at a couple of passages in the Gospels in which Jesus indicates this, and then we'll look at a very specific passage in the epistles. So first of all, let's turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And notice, if you will, verses 24 and 25. He says in verse 24, <clears throat> Mark 14, 24, And Jesus said unto them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink, it no, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to celebrate this with you and I'm not going to celebrate it with you ever again until my second coming. And at my second coming, then I will sit down with you 
and we will eat together again. But until then, no more. And so he was telling them that this was going to be his last supper with them, literally, uh, until uh, the kingdom of God was brought in as a result of his second coming. And uh, at that point in time, uh, according to Revelation chapter 19, there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb in which we will sit down and eat with the Lord Jesus once again at his table, and he will serve us. But of course, it won't be um, the Lord's Supper in the sense that we celebrate it now, because the Lord's Supper now is a time of remembrance of him in his absence. And of course, uh, you don't have a memorial service for somebody who's there. <laughs> you have it for someone who is uh, who's not there. And then a similar language in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And we'll look together at verses uh, 17 to 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 17 to 22. It says in verse 17 of Luke 22, And he, Jesus, took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is on the table. So what Jesus is doing is he's intimating to his disciples um, a period of time um, during which this is going to be observed and then a concluding point. And the concluding point is when the kingdom of God comes. Now, when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, Paul gets quite explicit about this and um, Really, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 um, is determinative on a lot of the subjects regarding the Lord's Supper because it's probably the fullest instruction we have anywhere in the Bible on that subject. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 26, well, we'll start at verse 23. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three: For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks and broke it, he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now here it is. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show or proclaim the Lord's death for how long? Until he comes. So Paul makes it very clear that these statements of Jesus were a statement of the duration or the length of time that the Lord's Supper was going to be observed. And so when he comes, it will end. Now, let's look at that supper in Revelation 19. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. <clears throat> and um, 
Yeah, it talks about it in verse uh, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she'd be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, and the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And so... Um, what this marriage supper of the Lamb is, is it's the consummation of the engagement period that we're in with Christ now. What has Christ been doing since the time of Abel up to this point in time? He's been gathering together his elect, namely his bride. And when all of the elect are fully gathered together and uh, saved and redeemed, then he's coming back to receive his church to himself and... Uh, you know, this is one of the reasons why we have uh, suppers at weddings. You know, at, at the very least, people serve cake and punch, and sometimes they have a, a sit-down meal, and it's a celebration of, of the marriage. And this is where it comes from, and this is why we do it. Um, it's it's um, part of carrying out the imagery of Christ and his church in the marriage of a man and a wife. And you recall in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses uh, the husband-wife relationship as an analogy of, of the marriage between Christ and, and his church and his bride. So anyway, uh, clearly we're going to do this until he comes. And then when he comes, uh, we will have uh, this, um, this, this consummation marriage supper, which will be changed from a time of memorial and a time of anticipation to a time of consummation and a time of rejoicing. All right, so that's how long it's going to go on. So when we're in heaven in eternity, we won't be celebrating um, the Lord's Supper. We'll be eating supper with the Lord. <laughs> All right, any questions about that? Okay, well, let's move on then. And what we want to talk about now is the purpose of the Lord's Supper. And our, our confession mentions six purposes in the Lord's Supper. Six things that are reasons why we celebrate it and what we're doing when we celebrate it. And uh, the first one is that it's a remembrance of his sacrifice. It says specifically, it's to be uh, observed in his churches unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance um, of the sacrifice in his death. And then, of course, secondly, for the showing forth of the sacrifice of his death. But first of all, the remembrance of his sacrifice. Now, um, there are abundant passages. I probably don't need to have you look at them all. But you remember that each time the Lord... Um, each time we have the record of the Lord instituting the Lord's Supper, he said, this do in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. And so uh, it says that in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 through 28. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 20. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 to 26. Notice verse 20. Um, 
5, in the same manner also, well, verse 24, you're there, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, this cup of the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So, the remembering of the Lord Jesus is one of the major components of why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, uh, we do this when we have a funeral and we have a memorial service. And what do we do at the memorial service? Well, people stand up and they talk about the deceased, don't they? And they remember what that person was like and what they did and the contributions they made and the impact they had uh, in our lives and the blessing that they were to us. And, and we sit down and we remember people, okay? And the Lord's Supper is the same way, except we're not remembering someone who is dead. We're remembering someone who is alive. They're just in a different place, namely Jesus is in heaven and we're on earth. And we're remembering what he did while he was here. So the Lord's Supper has this backward looking component, okay? Because that's what you're doing in a memorial service, right? Is you're looking back on the life of the person. So at the Lord's Supper, we have this backward looking component where we look back and we see um, the incarnation of Christ, uh, his birth, we see his childhood, we see his life, his public ministry, all the works he did, all the teachings that he taught. We see um, his, his, uh, his sufferings, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. And these are all the things that we remember about him. And of course, the reason why we need to uh, pause and remember the Lord Jesus is because we're so prone to forget. Um, it's, it's very interesting, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but uh, take out your concordance, or if you have a Bible program, use that, and just type in the word remember and remembrance. And just read all the passages, and what you will see is that God calls his people constantly, constantly, constantly to remember and to remember and to remember, and uh, he talks about us forgetting. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, when you take a bath, you know, you're like clean, but like, how long do you stay clean? Like about a day, right? And you got to take another one and then you're clean. And then, you know, you, you get dirty and you got to keep going back and taking baths over and over and over again, right? Well, it's the same way with remembering Christ. You know, we, we read about him and we learn about him and we focus on him. Uh, and then what happens is we go away and we start forgetting, and if we don't go back and renew our remembrance, then uh, what happens is our trust in him and our confidence in him and our focus on him begins to get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until ultimately we would get to the point to where we wouldn't think about him hardly at all. And that's the reason why we're called upon to celebrate the Lord's Supper is to renew and refresh and reestablish that uh, awareness and focus and remembrance of who he is, what he did, and what he means to us. Okay, so the Lord's Supper is a time of remembrance, and it's imperative that we um, give ourselves to that on a regular basis because, um, you know, God says in the Old Testament, he says, my people have forgotten me days without number. He says, can a mother forget her child? Can a bride forget her um, dress. Uh, and he said, yes, they can, but no, no. He said, he says, he says, no, but my people have forgotten me days without number. And so since we're prone to forget, we need to be remembered. We need to remember and we need to be reminded, I should say, 
of, um, of, his, uh, of his work on our behalf and of his person, uh, who he is and, and what he did. Now, in conjunction with that backward look, there's also uh, this, this forward look. Okay, and that's the second part of that phrase when it says for the perpetual remembrance and showing forth the sacrifice in his death. Now, this word showing forth is drawn straight out of First Corinthians 11, and you're still there. Notice, if you will, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till they come. And the word there in the original language is the same word that's translated preach. Okay, so you're preaching the Lord's death until he comes. So there's not only a remembrance of what he did, there's a declaration of what he did. Okay, so we remember, we proclaim, and we do so not only with a backward-looking remembrance, but also with a forward-looking anticipation because we're doing it until he comes. And so it's just like when we have a memorial service for someone who died that we loved, right? Not only do we look back on their life, but we also talk about looking forward to when what? We're going to see him again, right? In heaven. So um, in, in many respects, the Lord's Supper is, is parallel to a, a memorial service for a believer who has died. We're looking back on what they've done. We're looking forward to the time when we'll be with them again. And that's, that's, that's a joyous and anticipatory uh, expectation that we have. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're looking back and remembering, we're looking forward and anticipating, and we're making proclamation about both of those events, his, his past work and his future coming. And so that's why when we preach at the Lord's Supper, uh, oftentimes we'll talk about what he did and other times we'll talk about the fact that he's coming and we're going to be with him. And what those things do is they renew and they reignite uh, our affection towards Christ and our attachment to Christ. And um, we are renewed in our remembrance of who he is and what he is to us and the fact that our life should revolve around him. And the Lord's Supper does that in a way that nothing else does. So that's the uh, first two purposes then of the Lord's Supper, a remembrance of his sacrifice and a declaration of his sacrifice and his second coming um, when he will return. All right, any questions about that? Okay, there's a third um, purpose of the Lord's Supper, not only a remembrance of his sacrifice and a showing forth or a declaration of it, but also it says a confirmation of the faith of believers in all the benefits thereof. That is, it's designed to confirm our faith and our faith in the fact that we possess the benefits um, thereof. Now, um, there's an interesting passage in Romans chapter 4. You might turn there for a moment. Um, it's not talking about the Lord's Supper, but it's talking about uh, the significance of ceremony and what ceremony means to us. And um, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 11, it's talking here about Abraham, right? And we know Abraham was justified by faith, okay? He was justified by faith before he was circumcised, all right? 
he was saved uh, in uh, certainly in, in Genesis 15, but not circumcised until Genesis 17. But notice what it says in verse 11. And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while he was uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all those who believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. So, what was the purpose of the ceremony of circumcision? It was to be an affirmation to Abraham of the faith he had. Right? Well, in the same way, what's the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Well, one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper is to affirm or to confirm... Um, our salvation and our faith in Christ and our relationship with Christ and our recognition and recollection and reaffirmation of the benefits of the work of Christ. So here you are, you're someone who's believed in Christ. You've received the benefits of that belief. You've been saved. Um, but it's not like, well, that's done. I don't ever have to think about that again. It's we need our faith continually strengthened and renewed and reaffirmed. Uh, faith is something that we have to uh, cultivate and uh, uh, like, a, like a growing plant. It needs to be watered. It needs to be fertilized. It needs to have sunlight and air and, uh, in order for it to keep growing and flourishing. Well, it's the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to affirm and confirm and develop and to deepen uh, that faith. And, uh, and, and to confirm it. And so as we uh, take the wine and we take the bread, what we are doing is we are affirming again that we do believe in the Lord Jesus and we have received the Lord Jesus. Now, um, I got saved when I was 17 I remember very distinctly when I became saved, my salvation was very decisive. For some people it isn't, and that's perfectly fine. Some people come into faith more slowly or maybe at a younger age, and they can't remember the exact time when God saved them. But for me, it was, it was very decisive and dramatic, okay? And, and when I was 17, I believed. But every time I've taken the Lord's Supper since then, by partaking that supper, what I'm saying is, I believe again. I reaffirm the faith that I had when I got saved. And so it's, it's a renewal, it's a recommitment, it's a reaffirmation of the faith that we have. And so uh, every time Abraham um, took note of his circumcision, it was a reminder to him of the faith that he had exercised in God and the salvation that God had brought to him. And every time we participate in the Lord's Supper and take note of the Lord's Supper, we're reaffirming and renewing uh, the commitment and the faith that we had. So that then is a third purpose, is to confirm uh, all over again the faith that ultimately saved us and that we continue to um, uh, re-express and, and ratify uh, again and again. Okay, any questions about that? All right, well, there's a fourth 
uh, purpose for the Lord's Supper, and that is the feeding and the growth of our souls. Notice it says, for their spiritual nourishment and growth in Him. Now, when you speak of nourishment and growth, a lot of times you, you think of that in terms of eating food, right? If you want nourishment, what do you do? You eat. And because you eat, you're taking in calories and you're taking in protein and carbohydrate and all the stuff you take in, vitamins and minerals. And what does that do? It helps you grow, right? And that's how we grow up. <clears throat> well, in the same way, we need to eat spiritually. And as we eat spiritually, we grow spiritually in our faith and in our maturity and in our Christ-likeness. Now, there's a variety of ways to eat. Uh, one is through personal Bible study and prayer. But a primary way in which we eat is in the public means of grace. What you're doing right now, you're taking in spiritual food. You're taking in spiritual nourishment. But the Lord's Supper is like um, a special meal in which there is a intensified taking in of spiritual nourishment, if you will, a taking in of Christ to ourselves in order that we may grow in him. And the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine is a symbolic picture of taking in spiritual nourishment and having it become part of ourselves and produce in us spiritual energy and spiritual growth. And so if you want to turn to John chapter 6, we'll look at that metaphor as it's carried out at length to the great annoyance and puzzlement of uh, the Pharisees and the unsaved, um, but to the great blessing of God's people as they understand uh, the metaphor. Now, we must understand the context of this passage. Jesus just fed the 5,000, okay? So he fed 5,000 people. They wanted to make him king. He said, no way. Uh, he escaped across uh, the Sea of Galilee to get away from them and their efforts to make him king. They chased him down over there and they said, how did you get over here? Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Jesus answered them and said, verse 26 of John 6, Verily, verily, I say unto you, seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and are filled. All right? So understand now, this is the background. Okay? There's been bread served. These people have eaten. Physically, they're filled. Right? Okay? Verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat or food which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you for him as God the Father sealed. So Jesus is saying, don't be worried about the physical food. Take in spiritual food. They said to him, verse 28, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, uh, this is the work of God that you, what? Believe on him whom he has sent. And uh, so he's now talking about belief. All right. Uh, and we'll see he talks about that as an act of consumption. Um, uh, let's see, where are we? 
Yes, verse 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Here we go. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. In other words, you shouldn't be thinking Moses did it. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So what was the manna? It was like real bread that God gave from heaven. Moses didn't give it to him. God gave it to him. Uh, and, and, and remember, they'd pick it up off the ground and stuff, and they would eat it. And it was all they needed. And he says, but there's a, there's a, there's a better bread, a different bread that comes from heaven. And he says, uh, he's going to say, I, I, I'm that bread. So he says, for the bread of God, verse 33, is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life to the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They still didn't get it. Now he says it. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, is Jesus literal bread? He is not. Any more than he's a literal piece of wood when he said, I am the door. I mean, there's two doors right there, and there's one right there, and one there and there. He's not those. Those are metaphors, right? So when he says, I am the bread of life, he's using a metaphor. Now, notice his explanation of the metaphor. Verse 35 is the key to interpreting all the rest of this passage, okay? People get all hung up on the later verses. The later verses are explained by the earlier verses. Here we go, verse 35. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So coming to Christ is like eating, and believing on Christ is like drinking, Okay, so to eat Christ and to drink Christ is to come to Christ and believe on Christ. Is that clear? Okay, now notice how they ignore this and they start thinking he's talking about cannibalism. As he proceeds to the passage when he says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Okay, but if you paid attention to verse 35, you'd never go to cannibalism. He says, <clears throat> well, we'll just keep reading. Uh, wow, our time is killing us. Um, yeah, verse 36, But I say unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So talking about coming to him in faith. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me. Of all that he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up to the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. I will raise him up to the last day. Clearly he's talking about faith, right? The Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then he said, I came down from heaven? Um, they're, they're like, uh, he came from Mary and Joseph. He sure didn't come from heaven. And of course, they didn't understand that he was the God man and that Joseph wasn't his biological father because it was a virgin birth. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Murmur not among yourselves, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. I will raise him at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. 
Once again, he's talking about coming to him, right? Uh, Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Do you see coming and believing and coming and believing over and over again? Okay, now we're going to get into it. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. That bread didn't give eternal life. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So he's saying by his death on the cross, he's going to give people the kind of spiritual nourishment that will give them life. All right. Verse 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They thought he was speaking of taking a bite out of his arm or something. Then Jesus said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And so he takes this thing clear to its ultimate conclusion in order to to, to say to them, look, you know, I'm not talking literally, I'm talking spiritually. Uh, and, and, and he's trying to force the point. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. And he goes on. Verse Uh, 60, many therefore of his disciples, and they heard this, said this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And um, it says, um, verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So the point is here, is that when our confession says that it is for spiritual nourishment and growth in him, the feeding and growth of our souls, It's not like the Roman Catholic perversion where the bread and the wine are somehow transformed into the literal body and blood of Christ so that uh, the Catholics misunderstood Jesus' statements here as badly as the Pharisees did. And that's why they try to make it into literal blood and and body through their uh, so-called miracle of transubstantiation, which we're going to talk about uh, at length when we get to um, paragraph 6, okay? Uh, but when you sit there and you eat the bread and you drink the wine, that's just bread and it's just wine and it isn't anything else. But by taking these things into your body physically, you're making a metaphorical statement that you have taken Jesus Christ into your life spiritually And that he's the source of your spiritual nourishment and growth, just like the bread and the wine are the means of your physical nourishment and growth. And so the symbolic act you declare physically is pictorial of the spiritual act that you have engaged in invisibly when you believe on Christ, when you uh, exercise faith in Christ, when you receive Christ into your life. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. So what are you doing when you celebrate the Lord's Supper? You're getting spiritual nourishment, just like you're getting right now, except that the Lord's Supper, it's intensified and elevated. Right now, you're getting the vegetables and the potatoes. At the Lord's Supper, you get the steak, spiritually speaking. 
um, that's where the really good stuff is. And that's why um, it's such an important part of uh, our spiritual feeding and nourishment. So when you read the old writers and they talk about feeding on Christ, what they're talking about is taking in spiritual food so that you can grow in him. What does it say in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2? Desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby, the pure milk of the word. And so this metaphor of eating is used all over the scriptures for simply coming to Christ, believing on Christ, and receiving the benefits and blessing of Christ's redemptive work into our lives by faith as we focus on him. And that happens nowhere better than at the Lord's Supper. All right, well, our time is gone. We've got to stop. Um, we'll pick up here and uh, move on uh, next time. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for our Lord Jesus and that he is the bread which came down from heaven. And Lord, thank you for the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood. And through these things, we have spiritual life and we have spiritual growth. And that as we exercise faith in him, we uh, experience spiritual uh, nourishment and, and thereby spiritual strength. And so, Father, we pray that we would not confuse the physical metaphor with the spiritual reality and try to make one into the other, uh, as the Catholics do in error. But, Father, may we recognize that one is the symbol of the other. And, Father, may we uh, appreciate and value and rejoice in the, the solid spiritual nourishment that we obtain for the growth of our souls as we uh, remember what Christ has done, as we uh, look forward to what he will do, and as we proclaim those things uh, in the communion services together. Father, may our communion services be all of these things to us so that we go away fat and fed, uh, in our souls from the rich uh, feast that Christ spreads before us at his table each month as we celebrate his remembrance. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.